I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Let's Do the Right Thing podcast, curated and presented by Adam Hopkinson. Hello and welcome to the LDTRT podcast, a podcast helping you see where industry leaders have started with a new direction and, well, done the right thing along the way. Today I'll be talking with Drew Baker and asking specifically about Journey Today and what the best and worst things have been about it. And there are stories. (laughs) (laughs) About two days later I was at work whinging about being bored. And I spoke to her again and she said, look, why don't you apply for MasterChef? And I thought, well, why not? So I googled MasterChef application. Turned out that my application came in an hour before they closed it for that year. Oh, wow. Everyone was going to the pub and I thought, oh, I'll go to the pub. But you know what, I'll just send this and then I'll go to the pub. So had I not, you know, the sliding doors thing. Yeah. Drew, I also want to hear about what you're setting your sights on now and what's next for you. Um, I'm Adam Hopkinson. I'm the host of this podcast and the founder of LDTRT, Let's Do the Right Thing. For those of you who don't know us, We're a specialist consultancy set to transform businesses by delivering best practice and excellence in the world of digital media. We have Drew Baker, the ex-sales director and board director of High Tech Media. Drew's LinkedIn profile seems to stop in 2010 when a life-changing event happened and he fucked off out of media in a far more rewarding direction. Drew is well known as the winner of a mighty cooking competition that saw him pip the competition, me, to the post in a heated finale in 2009 at the home of one Katie Freeman, which is obviously the stepping stone he needed to go and win MasterChef in 2010. It's great to have you here, fella. Good to be here, dude. <laughs> so, look, wow, me- media looked to be a thing of the past until you started actually being the media. You've been columnist in Waitrose, author of a Spice uh, book. You are a TV chef. You're doing things in Croatia. You're setting out a platform. You've built your own brand. I mean, wow, what's going on? Do you know, it, it's so funny because walking down the street to the coming here to Radio Works was so bizarre because, I mean, this was where we worked. I mean, I worked with you for the best part of a decade in the same office. Yeah. So coming down here with, to see you, it, it, it felt really weird because it was kind <laughs> of old hat on to an extent, you know, coming down the streets where I would have had meetings day in, day out. So one, it was quite surreal and you kind of don't know whether you're coming or going then. So I had my security blanket of a bag of charcuterie under my arm just to remind me, you know, validation. That is Tempus charcuterie, That is right? Tempus charcuterie, correct, which is, <laughs> um, that's the, you know, that's that's the day job. That's what I'm doing uh, at the moment. So it was a pretty tumultuous time after MasterChef. So, yeah, as you said, 2010, MasterChef came around. Um, little to no expectation, you know, you go on to these things without expecting anything to come of it. Um, and how wrong was I on that one? But even after we had finished filming and I, you know, I'd won it and everything before it had gone live, you spent it was for three months. I knew that I'd won, but it hadn't. 
um, you did brilliantly. I was poking you nearly every day. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all looking good. It's all looking good. Oh, you bastard. I'd have gone straight down to Ludbrooks. And then I had to kind of feign that I duffed it. Then you got the pity look for everyone. They're like, how did you do? And you go, yeah, yeah, I didn't do very well. And everybody kind of like, yeah, exactly. They're like, well, I didn't want to say anything. Um, and yeah, you come out of this thing blinking into this light, but there's no structural guidance or steering. You kind of win it. And the first thing that happens is a car waiting outside the house at four in the morning to, and you do all the sort of breakfast news bits and then it's just bonkers because you get offers coming left right and center none of which you know are any good or serious or nonsense and what to do and how to take it and luckily you know I was a bit older I was 32 at the time you know when you've got children and mortgages and, and, a, and a wife it's you, you're much more grounded so I think I approached it um in a way that hopefully I didn't get too carried away. I mean, obviously there are times when you do and you have these moments where you kind of have to think, is this actually happening? Um, and yeah, and then after that, it was kind of have six months. My advice has been for, to um, pre or subsequent winners because they, they put us in touch with, with the new breed just for advice. And I've said to all of them who've asked that for six months, don't even think of a bigger plan. Just enjoy it mm. because it, it's a whirlwind of parties and launches and openings and people throwing offers at you and it's, you know, there's good money to be made, but start thinking of a plan. Don't think you need a plan on day one, you know, because the guilt of going from a structured job to doing something which is slightly crackers. Um, it, it's 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 confusing and it's bewildering, but I did. I went and worked in kitchens. So for the first year, I worked with different chefs. I just kind of rang up all of the chefs I admired most and said, can I come and work in your restaurants? And they all said yes. So um, Tom Kitchen up in Edinburgh, um, I was at the uh, at the Gavroche for a bit. Um, then there was uh, with Michelle Rue Jr. Of course, uh, Ellen DeRoe to the Connaught, Atul Kosher at Benares, who was a great great support. Uh, John Tarode actually at the time was still in restaurants, and he was he was very supportive. He kind of let me come and play and and make endless numbers of mistakes. But you know that's how you learn. And then after that, I sort of had a catering company for a few years. Didn't I felt that was a bit transient because we were doing lots of pop up events and things where you'd spend weeks planning it and then you'd turn up and then it'd be done. There's no value, no residual value, so there's nothing tangible left after it. So I thought, well, that seems a bit daft. I'm not building anything here. Then came the restaurant uh, around about the same time as the book. Yeah, quite nice having two sort of tangible projects happening at the same time. The book did did well uh, and the pub did well actually. But sort of after th- two three years of being at, with the pub, um. Again, I started to get slightly itchy feet. It wasn't quite what I'd hoped. I, you know, I was hoping that by that point we'd have had a couple more sites with a view to even more, but that wasn't really a shared motivation amongst my business partners. So at the same time, my charcuterie interest was being piqued by uh, my now business partner, but then sort of uh, friend Tom Whitaker, who was runner-up of MasterChef 2011. Right. And so... We'd been doing this as a hobby, experimenting with different breeds, with different uh, techniques, with different flavour profiles. And actually, he said, look, should we try and do this, make, make a fist of it properly? So came up with the brand name, um, talked to investors, raised the money, built this unit down in Weybridge, um, and actually just started producing it. Um, and that's kind of, and now we're here. So that's kind of 10 years, really concertinaed into a tiny, tiny um, sort of, opening statement I guess or opening gambit um, and now actually going back to looking at more of the stuff so you know over the last 10 years a lot of TV a lot of radio a lot of writing all of which I love immensely 
uh, and all of which I'm now trying to find a way of weaving through the charcuterie life, yep. um, <clears throat> all of which are essential, obviously, for the success of a business or a brand. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have some experience pre-MasterChef from the sort of media world, from sharing offices with you guys. Yeah, well, absolutely. I'm sure you learned a lot from um, that. I didn't learn much from my <laughs> business. I don't think there's much call for, for toilet panels for, for um, charcuterie at the oh, moment. There's got to be a sausage gag in there. Too obvious. Yeah, well, Too obvious. You know. But you know what? If nothing, I'm obvious. So that, <laughs> but that would be it. Um, but actually, yes, the, in a way, the last 10 years have been a kind of training ground, really, because you do get to grips with, with, as I said, radio and TV and the media, which... I'd all sort of as a job, but then you're actually living it, and it kind of you don't see it as a job anymore because it's just part of your day to day life. And now, actually thinking, huh, maybe I, it wasn't ten years of just pissing about. Maybe I had learned some stuff that would be relevant, and actually it is. And so now, building a brand from scratch. I mean, I, I guess you could argue that I was building my brand of myself, but that's that that doesn't really count in my eyes. Whereas actually, Tempest is a brand. We have yeah. a logo. We have a you know we know what we're doing. No, we know what we want to do, sorry, I should say. Yeah, but so you're a brand as well. So you know, you are the winner of MasterChef and you wrote the book and you know, there, there is interest in you and your opinions as well as Tempus. And, and actually, it's lovely to see that you're you're building a brand, having spent so long helping others do theirs. Yeah, I, I guess. And I'd never actually thought about it until you contacted me, until we spoke a, a week or so ago. And I sort of thinking, started thinking back to it. And you think, actually, there is a lot of commonality with that and now. And actually piecing the two bits together or the two halves together. There's a lot, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm going to need to start thinking about a, a more structured approach to what I do because, you know, it's all there. It's, it's, I've spoken about it yeah. as this kind of abstract principle where you're, you're kind of half-heartedly selling an idea to somebody. But actually, living it now, it, it is. it makes perfect sense. So just trying to... I guess ultimately, if I could meld the two, the sort of my the brand that was whatever I've created for myself mm-hmm. with Tempest, and somehow create something greater than the sum of the parts, then then it's a worthwhile exercise, I guess. Well, and, and it looks like it's been a worthwhile exercise so far. I mean, we're seeing it everywhere. It's... Well, it's been great. You know, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it, and I think the biggest the difference came when you know, however much you enjoy a job. Unless you are completely committed and, and sold and passionate about it, you're never going to be that good at it. I mm-hmm. Well, no, I should speak to myself. I'm sure other people are. But, you know, doing what I did for, for 10 years before MasterChef, um, I had no real passion. There was no... The, the thought of selling advertising space didn't thrill me. Um, you know, it paid well and it was easy and it was fun and I got to go spend most of my time lunching and going out for dinner. But ultimately, in terms of satisfaction, I just, you know, the, the imposter syndrome... Thing and you kind of think, what am I actually doing? And it's a bit hollow to, without getting too sort of deep into it. Was there a was MasterChef the obvious point that you you switched, or was it brewing? And it, had had MasterChef not happened, would you have made a switch anyway? A hundred percent. I mean, what I was actually doing at the time was I'd looked into um, getting a qualification from Leeds or Cordon Bleu, one of the cookery academies, and I'd spoken to my family about it, and spoken to my dad about it, and he said, "Look, it's expensive, but." I think you should do it. And we were talking at the time about potentially him loaning me the money to go and do one of these qualifications. So it was something that was sort of swirling around there. You know, it wasn't a particularly formulated idea. It was something that I had thought about. Food, and you and I shared that passion, you know, or share that passion. From from day one, we'd always be arguing about food or talking about ingredients or where's best for this or who's better at what. And But then actually you think, is food really an option? Because going going back 10 or 12 years... 
there wasn't this kind of proliferation of TV chefs. There wasn't the, the kind of media coverage and attention that, that bloggers, we didn't have bloggers, we didn't have Instagrammers, influencers. Social media didn't exist. Thank God. Um, you know, it, it was a much more mm. binary landscape. It's, yeah. And, and the, the, that kind of immense fragmentation of media hadn't quite begun. It was beginning. Um, but it was still very much kind of the fragmentation was terrestrial versus satellite kind of TV. And yep. otherwise it was all still pretty much, you know, you could write your media plan on the back of a fag packet because it was only like four options you had. Excellent. Done. That's um, lunch then. Well, that's why I thought, you know, <laughs> this is easy. Um, but then obviously it's changed. And I mean, now I wouldn't even know where to start when we're trying to come up with comm strategies and you're thinking about using influencers and you think that's not a real thing, but of course it is. And it's just because people consume media the way in a different way that I do doesn't mean it's not there. Absolutely. Uh, and actually that's the thing. It's that, that fear of not getting it right because it's something I don't understand. And therefore is it a waste of money? Um, who knows? But yes, yeah, so, so that, that, that whole passion of, of food was always there, but when you've got children and school fees and mortgages, you kind of think, well, maybe that's just a pipe dream. You think, you know what, maybe, maybe it's not to be. And I, was, I had gone from wanting to do the cookery thing to then thinking maybe it's not meant to happen. And just that, that kind of intersection between those two what thought processes. What was the process. push? Can you, can you pinpoint a Yeah, person? my wife, my wife, well, actually. So it was two things. So one day we were, um, I was a real kind of... What was it, Drew, I'm hungry. Yes, can you can you just cook something? She, uh, I'd be watching MasterChef and I'd be critiquing everything. And she'd sit there sort of gritting her teeth. And one day she said, well, if you're so bloody good, why don't you apply? And I sort of thought, that's ridiculous. You know, there's no point. There's thousands of applicants. It's a lottery anyway. And then about two days later, I was at work whinging about being bored because I was playing, playing Bejeweled after yet another <laughs> 10-hour marathon of sitting playing one-click mouse games at work. And I spoke to her again, and she said, look, why don't you apply for MasterChef? And I thought, well, why not? So I Googled MasterChef application. This form appeared, which had been kind of scanned in sideways onto a scanner somewhere, filled it out, sent it off, had no idea whether it was um, even a live application. It turned out that my application came in an hour before they closed it for that year. Oh, wow. Um, I remember now I was going to send it off, and everyone was going to the pub, and I thought, oh, I'll go to the pub. But you know what, I'll just send this, and then I'll go to the pub. So had I not... You know, the sliding doors things. Yeah. Um, then got called in for a, had a phone interview. I was pretty convinced it was one of my friends winding me up, so I was quite rude. And then I thought, actually, if they're not, I should probably <laughs> improve this. Uh, so then you have stacking a, the cards against you. From oh, really? Very, you know, from the outset. Yeah. Some, someone would say you're self-jeopardising it, you know, psychotherapy. They'd, they'd say there's definitely some self-sabotage um, Imposter here. maybe coming in again. Exactly. Yeah. All of those things. Um, had the screen test, and then before you, and th at this point, no one has ever said, "Don't tell anyone." So I told everyone, everyone I know, everyone I'd likely to know, strangers in the street that I've got on. Um, and then a letter comes to about two weeks later saying, "Oh, and, and don't shut up, don't Drew, tell anyone. <laughs> you mustn't tell anyone." <laughs> Damn it! Right. Uh, okay. So then I had to then try and unpick it. So I came up with the whole um, jury service story which is how I got around it. I told everyone at work that I was on jury service. God, so I went for this. Everyone went for it. And oh, then yeah, they were like, what was the case? And you think murder, but you think, well, hang on a minute, because they're going to be intrigued. So mm. if you just say fraud or tax evasion, no one really cares. So that was my cover story. Um, Endemol, you might want to consider a, a, a selection of cover stories for your um, subsequent uh, contestants. 
then the, you go on the whole thing and you're in this bizarre world where you find yourself in three-star kitchens and flying all over the world cooking, but not able to tell anyone. So it's this incredibly weird life where you're doing it, but you can't fully enjoy it. I do remember you coming back with a weird suntan after a weekend. Thinking, Hold on, that, that's not what happens in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where was your jury service? You know, the, how strong were the light bulbs? That was the one thing where I did come a cropper. Was having spent a week in India lying by a pool because we got there, all the planning that had been done had just fallen apart. So for four days or three days, we didn't do anything other than lie by a pool, which everyone says must be brilliant. Except then you've got to jam three episodes into two days worth of filming. So we're non-stop filming for two days. Yes, came out the tan in a, in October was a slight dubious, um, um, but amazingly got away with it. And then it finished. Uh, I handed in my notice because there's no guarantee anything's going to come of it. Uh, and then it didn't sort of TX till. March, March, April, and so you, I'd wake up in the night thinking, did I dream the whole thing? You know, I'd, I'd completely befuddled by it all. Um, and then it airs, and it, I had a vision that myself and the other finalists, Alex and and Tim, we'd say that you know that last scene in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark when that when the Ark is just hidden in that warehouse, it's just in a box uh, yes, up, yeah. alongside. And th- I said, what if that happens with all of the tapes? They just put them in the box, and just lose say, them, <gasps> or just say we won't bother Phil showing it. Just stick it up in this box. So, you know, that's yeah. a, a valid... Well, it probably wasn't very valid, given the investment. But you you start thinking ridiculous things. Uh, and you certainly don't allow yourself to think, where can this go? Because you've got no parameters, no framework to think within. Uh, and then it airs. And then everything just goes completely bananas. Um, you kind of lose all grip on, on what is reality. I remember turning up to see friends one day, and I'd been filming all day, and they'd said, bring, the, bring your trophy... And sort of car took me there, you, hair and makeup, in, do your cooking, whatever, running late, so car back, straight to the pub to meet these guys. And they had brought some um, work colleagues who I'd never met. And one of them kind of looked at me weirdly. Are you wearing lipstick? Well, one, he kind of wiped <laughs> my face and he was like, just like, what is that? And then he could see my bag and he reached down and he pulled out the MasterChef trophy. So it's almost like I had to have this validation yeah. by being fully made up and walking around with a bloody trophy in my bag. Which is quite a grounding, sobering effect. Have you got it now? Do you know, sadly, I don't. And with a cavalier disregard for cliche, it does sit just outside the downstairs loop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, it was It was very weird. But, you know, while it was a brilliant time and it was just exciting because you were f- being flown all over the place, you were doing big kind of high-profile events and cooking for all sorts of people, you kind of, in the back of your mind, there's a voice saying you've got to kind of get a handle on this. Um, you've got to do something constructive out of it because this will burn out because there'll be another winner every year so there's yeah. always going to be another one a fresher one and we know that life that that memories are short especially in the world of what that's say what now <laughs> and especially with this fragmentation this this if you look at instagram or or, or, or um the, the kind of um the kind of programming that we look at the reality tv type thing there's always like a thousand new ones new people all the time. There's always new stuff. So unless there's something that really gives you something to stand out or, or a point of differentiation or something a bit more credible, then you're just going to be another one of them. Luckily, I guess, 10 years ago, there wasn't that much. I mean, now, I, where do you even start? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Do you, do you feel the same startup hustle that everybody else does when they're setting up business on their own? Do you have to force deals? Do you have to yeah. keep pushing things? And A hundred percent, you know, and I think hustle is the word. It's whether you're tech or food or fashion or aviation it's the same thing it's it's down to um relationships it's down to maximizing existing relationships it's about forming new ones quickly uh, and relevantly you know there's meaning and meaningful ones you know there's no point me trying to sell and i remember back in the day when i was in in media sales where you know it was all about the sale it was about the deal and you'd have these ridiculous stories of interviewers asking you to sell you a pen it's like, do you want a pen? No. So, well, sure, okay. that's it. Next. You don't need a pen. <laughs> like, no, that's all wrong. And you think, actually, no, that isn't wrong. Why would you be forcing this thing? And, mm. and actually, now when it's my business and my product, I, why would I, you know, I'm not going to go to a vegan wholesaler, <laughs> right, trying to sell this stuff. And, you know, back in that's the old days. whole market you're missing out on. Well, I've had people ask me about my plans for vegan charcuterie. Brilliant. Um, How are now knowing the way that you respond to questions like <laughs> well, that? Well, I think you could probably <laughs> fill in the gaps yourself. Um, it, you know what? There's. We'll actually come on to that because that. It's, I know we're joking about it, but there are some quite relevant points, maybe not quite as far as veganism with charcuterie. But, you know, you learn that you, you know your audience, know your market, understand what they want understand at the same point you know i could go to somewhere that sells nothing but charcuterie but their price point is the entry-level price point there's no point in me speaking to them yeah they want volume and they don't want high price it would be a waste of my time and a waste of their time so actually what you learn to do very quickly is identify the right people but and actually identifying something that's the wrong person is just as important because yeah, you're not so going to be wasting waste your time. time. Yeah. So a no is as helpful as a yes, especially this early on where time is so critical. Uh, as far as a commercial presence goes, I'm the kind of virtually the only one at work. Occasionally, my business partner finds himself in meetings and stuff, but generally he focuses on what he does best, which is the production. And you, you split the roles between you and Tom. Yeah, I mean yeah. originally it was he and I and Zaba, our head of production. Um, 
in a in a very cold room. So for the first six months of last year, January to July, um, I wore ski thermals every day, and we just stood in silence in a cold room, doing butchery. It's quite a, that sounds terrifying. That sounds like an episode of Dexter. Yeah, or Saw, or something. <laughs> but but and you know it, it's it's you need to have quite a, a good unusual mindset to be able to do that day in day out. Um, but I, it was essential because I know the process in inside and out. You know, if people want incredibly detailed technical explanations of processes, I can I can answer it. You know, in the same way. As if you're selling a product, you should know it inside out. Um, so it, it take, when you're doing your 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 room, that I've now got this weird picture in my head. But there's the three of you in the cold room in your ski wear. Yeah. And you're building the the basics. It takes what five six months for them to yeah. For, what, for what would you do, like develop mature age age. Age. So what you do is, I mean, on a Friday the animals come in. Now these are big old beasts. They're around about the two hundred kilo mark, one hundred eighty two hundred kilos, which is quite a big pig. And we get eight delivered at a time. So. You know, my math isn't great, but I know that's more than a ton. Do the butchery, all the primary butchery done that day. On the Monday, you do all the whole muscle. So the difference in charcuterie is, is salami and whole muscle, effectively. One is a whole piece of meat. One is something that's minced and recased. Okay. So that's a, the kind of large differentiation. Um, you have to ferment the salami, and the whole muscle doesn't need fermentation. But from that point, they go into an ageing room, and they are in there for up to sort of four or five months. The hams, anything up to 12 months. The big leg, whole legs, anything up to two years. So. Is it seasonal? So can can you can you do one batch and then the next week start another batch and they're like five or six months delayed and that's rolling? Or, yeah, that's okay. exactly how we do it. So every week, uh, every production cycle they go. So effectively, you've just got this series of um, sort of touch points. But then when you run out of that, you start the next one. So you've just got this constant conveyor of stuff. So all the trolleys in the age room were numbered. Right. So we know... That's ready in week one, two, three, four, all the okay. way around for the year. Um, what happens when demand goes through the roof, though, and you sell weeks one to 12 in one week means that you've got stuff which isn't quite ready, yeah. but demand screaming for it. So so then you've got a variable price point as well, perhaps? or it's. I mean, at the moment, it's such early days where we doubled our production because we thought that would be about right and prudent in terms of growth, but... I'd still under-egged it, so we, we, we're still short on three product lines, but demand far outstrips supply. So wow. the logical point would be put up prices, but I'm trying to argue the case that let's hold the price and let's double production again so that we've got a wider base to build on. So um, for the, just going back to those, those six months, so from a from a startup point of view, and the, you know, this being about letting people go out and yeah. helping people think about going out and doing their own thing. Yeah, yeah. So you've invested in... You know the the environment, the place you're doing yep. it. You've got your your ski wear, obviously. Yep. You know on your line item, that's clearly in there. Clearly. Um, and so you you've got six months where you're not generating revenue, so you've got to focus on cash flow. A hundred percent. That burn rate is essential, and work out your cash requirement. And I think a lot of businesses come unstuck because they don't, or they underestimate how much cash they're going to need. You know, we we thought we did all right. We factored a twenty percent. Uh, margin on our on the build the build came in at 35 percent over so we're already 15 percent in the hole right. just on day one before we even laid down any meat started production decided to increase production so we'd factored in for argument say let's say five grand a month but then you're actually end up spending seven so that's two thousand a month so for the first six months that's another 14 grand or another 12 grand so it all adds up um 
we joked that if anything went wrong with the building, whether we needed ducting, it was just five grand. How much is that going to cost? There was just a guy just on the other end of a phone just saying £5,000, irrespective of what had gone wrong. Um, and actually trying not to get distracted from the core of what you do because you're worrying about the money. It's it's tricky. I mean, I'd, I had sleepless nights. There was a lot of, you know, nervous, unable to hold, keep food down because you're panicking about paying bills and wages because you haven't got the cash coming in as yet. Um, and it's all it all feels like it's on a on a very, very um, sort of it's all hanging on a on a thread because you think if anything goes wrong, if we duff a batch or if the climatics go down, if there's something, you know, you've had it. So I think if I did it again with hindsight, I would have been braver because you're obviously terrified that you're going to upset an, an investor. Um, if they're putting in a huge amount of money, um, yes, Tom and I, we did put in, well, we did put in some money, but we aren't taking a salary for two years. So that's quite an investment as well as turning down any other job. So your opportunity cost is, or mine was massive because of what I was already doing. Um, so I'd say that make sure you've got that cash flow, cash requirement really tight and actually look at those numbers. And this is something I learned from one of our investors, Dan, who had said, you've got to look at those numbers every day, all day, every day. You need to be on top of them because it, it just magnifies. If you're off by a percent here and a half percent there and something goes wrong and someone doesn't pay, and all of a sudden the thing all magnifies and snowballs into a, a disaster. And, and you could be on the verge of launching the most successful business in the history of mankind, but your cash flow sliding doors screws you yeah, yeah get it right you just think oh you know it's not right how many good ideas have ended up tanking i don't know that's a rhetorical i guess but four four mm. i knew you'd know <laughs> guaranteed it. if anyone's gonna know it's gonna be adam but you know just and but also you've also got to maintain uh everything it is that you've done to get you to that place in the first in, in the first place and you talk about sleepless nights and i understand that mm. and worrying about it but but you and Actually, probably need to rephrase this differently. But you and Tom are holding hands, not at that point. But yeah, you know, you're thankfully. in it together, and you are. It does you're help. Totally on the same page, and you've got each other's backs. And yeah. yeah, there's a huge amount of solace that comes from that. I mean, the other thing that really helps is my wife has been immensely supportive from day one. Um, she could have had every right when I said, "I'm," you know, the pub's not really working out. She could have said, "Suck it up," until you're making money out of that thing. You're not leaving it. But she didn't. She said, "You know." She knew that it wasn't the right thing for me. She's always had this kind of innate ability to know what's right and what isn't for me. And, and she believes this, the charcuterie thing, to be the way where I need to be and what I need to be doing. Um, and, you know, she she's in the industry. She works in advertising. She's a, a, a managing partner at a, at a planning agency. So she understands it. And But actually, without her, without the benefit of that financial support from her, I couldn't have done it. So, yes, I'm not drawing a salary, but she's carrying the can financially for us um, in its entirety, in her entire, sorry, the, the whole sort of financial burden. So she's very philosophical about it, but it kind of kills me because you kind of want to help. I don't want her to have to carry it for much longer. Um, and it's just very fortunate. I know most people probably wouldn't have that situation. So I'm very lucky to be in that position. So there's a few things coming through here. There's, you've got support at home. Yep. You've got support with your partner. Yep. You've got investment ready lined up. You've yep. got the product. Yep. You've got the talent. Yep. You're out in market. Yep. You've got the drive to make it work. You can clearly see that coming yep. through. Is there anything else that needs to get added into that mix? To, Do you know, even with it? all of that, you can feel like you've got nothing. 
it's so weird because you you have this feeling that how do I even start this? Where do I start? You know, we need to sell X to break even, and that translates as a thousand kilos a month. Call it a met a ton. Where do you start? And I think I just kind of just ran at the market without a, a, a very structured plan. Uh, I'd been fortunate to make a lot of contacts over the last ten years in the kind of world of fine food, um, and you know, the, they're not going to suffer fools gladly. If the product wasn't great, they would have just said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. There's no, there's, you don't get treatment, preferential treatment. Okay, you'll get the door open, you'll get a seat at the table, but if the product's not outstanding, uh, it won't really go very far. So I guess the last 10 years helped open a lot of doors. But then actually once you're in through that door, it's down to the quality of the product. And that's where the where Tom comes in. You know, if the if his training hadn't enabled him to be as technically proficient then that would have gone happen so yes you're right support um sharing the burden with somebody else uh, i've got friends who've gone into this industry on their own one who's in the spirits world doing a mezcal brand he's on his own he flies maybe three weeks in every four and it's brutal he's i couldn't do it i mean it's it's you underestimate how difficult it's going to be so yes support essential every way anyway you can get it um, financial underpinning key um, know your product inside out know your market know where you're going to be selling it to and actually work out if the market is big enough to sustain whatever it is you're doing because quite often you could say i've got this incredible product mm. and it could be the best product for two people on earth as long as no, if they're willing to spend half a billion quid on it then happy days but <laughs> you know a lot of sausage none of it's like a platinum toothpick with their initials on it or something yeah. So okay, um, so why you're doing it then? Have you got a, have you got a mantra? Is there a is there a phrase? Is there something that you turn to to actually? That's why. Work in the business, not on the business. Okay. Oh, sorry, work on the business, not in the business. In you know, you could have. I guess it's a simple case of having the right tools for the right jobs. We could have cleaners in on on whatever hourly rate you'd play, or Tom and I could do the cleaning. And yes, you're saving. A day by day, you're saving a bit of money, but actually, long term, no one's doing the bigger picture stuff then and that's where the business can come unstuck if you start saying oh, i need to save money now so you start doing fairly menial jobs which are, aren't particularly skilled anyone could do them so the who's doing the more strategic stuff no one and and then you find that the ship's kind of just floating around there's no real direction to it and yeah. i think it's easy to be busy but um, not productive but not productive it's the easiest thing in the world you know you could run around and packing stuff and buying stationery and, and you know any you can mm. fill your day with menial jobs but that's not going to benefit anyone you think oh, i'm helping my employees but you're not because if you're not growing the business that's not helping them at all um and you need to constantly be keeping an eye on that because it will creep in and you'll do a little bit here and half an hour there and before you know it you've lost a week or two doing something that's fairly menial that you could have got somebody else to do and actually you've then got to catch up the two weeks that you've lost effectively do you and Tom have anybody that you feel that you kind of answer to? Do you have a mentor that that, that just helps keep you in check? Uh, actually, yeah, one of our investors. Um, so he's our primary investor, and he he never set out to be a kind of mentor. He he, when he speaks, people listen. His advice is always good. It's always considered. He, you know, it sounds like he's not really taking anything in, but he's taking it all in, and he's just sort of mulling it over, and he'll. He'll just say one thing. He'll leave one sentence and it kind of encapsulates everything. Um, so generally that's who I go to um, if I've got any questions. I've got some friends who are 
have been in the food business for years, very, very successfully. Um, they're always happy to, to give me advice. And I'm, I, I think also ask advice, learn from these people. They've done it forever. They're, when you see these people kind of coasting, they're not coasting. They've worked incredibly hard for 20 years to allow them to now be in a position where they can ski all the time and go abroad and enjoy it because they've got a great team around them. Um, always look for people who are better than you are. Um, surround yourself by people who are better than you are, who who can do those jobs. Uh, I think that's get yourself to a position where people are wanting to work for you and then just get the best people you can. Do you get people coming to you now for advice on, like, I'm thinking about doing a gin brand or something like that? Do they? Um, yeah, it started happening. A few, um, you know, it used to just be cooking-related questions. Then it comes to become bigger picture, sort of food-related. And now it's kind of people saying, I'm going into business doing this. Um, have you got any advice or... We've got to start up. Would you mind? And and you kind of think, God, I'm I'm just at that point myself. But actually, that first year and a half is critical because you, while you feel you haven't covered a lot of ground, you've you've done way more than you think. And find a way of monitoring that and tracking that. Keep a journal. Do a video log. Do, do a, a diary. Do something, because there'll be days when you think you're not getting anywhere, and actually need something to to show you have. It's very easy to think, what have I been doing? You know, we still haven't achieved what we wanted to. It's been a total waste of time. That's kind of catastrophic thought process in an infancy of a business. You need a thing to look at to say, this is what we've done yeah. and keep track of it. Whatever it is, however, whatever metric you need to, to use, but have something, whether it's a list of stockists or celebrities who've eaten it or bought it or tried it or filmed it, you know, whatever it is, you're, you're, the space you're in, find a metric that, you can use to say actually we are moving forward um the thing i'm trying to get to the moment i keep thinking about this idea of a snowball of just patting ball onto a snow ball onto a snow snow onto a snowball and eventually that that inertia is going to get overcome by the weight of it and then it away it runs and so it's a kind of analogy that works and doesn't because at the same time you don't want this thundering thing out of control, out of control. And, yeah. which is it happens i it mean it does happen yeah. we, the harder we push on the sales front and as demand grows massively it outstrips supply so i've got to rein it back and it's not a natural feeling to to kind of half sell to half promote your business because we can't back it up so it's it's having that snowball moving but within control of some some however you control it but if it runs away with you and then then you do things like you cut corners and you get mm. product out too early or you try and find ways of making it quicker which isn't going to be as good and then all of a sudden you've got a much bigger company but the product is no good and that's the beginning of the end and we've seen it time and time and time again we at high profile restaurant groups it doesn't even have to be in the food world that's my kind of go-to um environment but too quickly, too fast is never going to be a good idea. Not when you're building, making something tangible. I, I completely agree. Wow. Are you seeing anybody else moving out of media land and following into a crafted world like you've done? Do you know, you look around and there are so many instances of people who've left agencies. So going, you know, the, the Byron Berger guys were from ad backgrounds and I picked up a magazine and there was um, setting up a couple of drinks brands. There are constantly, I mean, I think, media by definition will will have creative people but also commercially driven people yeah, you know deal makers Med exactly and and media is that bit where the, where the art and the science and the money meet so you're going to want you're going to have an interest in at least two of the three of those um and i think by definition you're going to have at that interface people who spark 
ideas or who or the other thing is you're going to meet like-minded people that you're going to be able to work off and with and and i think that's a really interesting um confluence of convergence of of different uh, facets of that business and i think that more than many business i mean the city is the other one you know it tends to be a lot of people from the city will then leave because they've got the fun the financial backing then you know make a lot of money quite quickly access to virtually unlimited pots of it someone's gonna have an idea and i think it's interesting to see what they do a, a guy i've known for years has left one of the kind of most high the high profile banks to set up a, an amazing brewery down in brixton brixton brewery which has done amazingly well uh, I'm talking to somebody about doing a gin, a Tempest gin. So I was going to ask then, so is, is the brand going to differentiate into other areas? So what goes with charcuterie? I mean, what's the next bit? So I think we are so far, so early into our infancy that we're not going to think about anything else. I woke up the other night convinced I had a, a, a range of beers, Tempest beers. I woke up convinced and I was angry with Tom for forgetting to remind me and I hadn't been selling these things. So you're angry with Tom for getting to remind you about the dream that you just had. Yeah, no, in my mind, I was why, why the hell haven't I been reminded about the beer? I should be selling the beer. Because... But you've got to say focus, as you, as you said, you know, exactly. build the quality and build the place and get it out. Uh, and so we, we do something once a month where we'd sit down and have loads of good ideas. But then what we do is we, we crush those ideas then and there. We don't leave them on the table. We talk each other out of them. And we leave the table with nothing else on it. To stay focused. To stay focused. But you've got to crush it. Otherwise, you'll keep thinking about it. So it's like, what have you thought about? He said, well, I wanted to do this and this and this, and I'd like to do that. And then I, it's my job to convince him he doesn't want to do that. And similarly, I'll have ideas, and his job is to convince me out of it, because then I need to focus on what I do, and he focuses on what he does. But I am going to do this gin. Um, small batch, and it's going to be with the same botanicals I use in our air-dried ham. And it's designed purely to go into a martini to drink with that ham. Right. It's not designed to go with tonic. It's not a kind of... It's it's a kind of hardcore purist's gin that is designed just to go with that ham because it's the same botanicals as we use in, our, in that ham. Um, beautiful side-by-side thing. It's a it's a kind of closed circuit in, as far as another project's going to go. It's not something that we go off-piste, focusing down. Something that's completely non-core. But it keeps a, it keeps a bit of excitement around it. Um, we need to we need to have a degree of R and D just to keep the excitement. You know, Tom and I are both from a chefing background. The creativity is what kind of we thrive on. If you find yourself making exactly the same product range, it's like cooking the same dishes mm. all year. You you lose your marbles. So we have a degree of R and D, and every so often he hits gold. So we've we're the as far as I know the first producer of British mortadella. And, and British what? Mortadella. Okay, I don't know what that so is. So Mortadella's uh, from Bologna. It's uh, a kind of process. So it's it's uh, all the mint meat is minced. It's then emulsified using ice um, to sort of keep the temperature down, and it kind of gives it that kind of quite springy texture. And traditionally, it's either made with pistachios or or uh, black peppercorns. And it's very early childhood memory of kind of that exciting food. You know, stuff that's different. Uh, charcuterie when I was a kid wasn't very well established. Um, so we had a go at it, and it, it, it's great. It's unlike Mortadella. Because we've never set out, we never set out to create a facsimile of anything. I think if you're going to do something, give it your own identity. Um, otherwise, you're just making a version of something that's probably never going to be as good as the original. People say, will you make a Parma ham-style ham? No. How about an Iberico-style ham? Absolutely not. You know, we are, we are making our own products that, while technically might resemble something they are very very different products and actually people when they eat it 
recognize that immediately. And uh, the flavor profile is the kind of equivalent of a Sonic logo. There's no logo, there's no branding on them. But if I can weave a flavor profile into it that you'll recognize, and I've, I hope you will, once you've tried that lot, I'm pretty sure that if you tried it again, you'd recognize it as a Tempest brand. I, I will try them all tonight. <laughs> yeah, in just one big, big sandwich. sandwich. Yeah, loads of brown sauce. Yeah, just dousing that. <laughs> I think that it's. It's essential if you're creating a brand, you have to have a differentiation. Not just the logo and the packaging. But the actual product. There has to be something yeah. inherent and intrinsic to it. Okay, so look, bringing it back to the, the, the name of the podcast, let's do the right thing. You, you clearly have done because you've, you've built a business that's thriving and running and getting recognition and traction and stockets, etc. Yeah. Looking at like Jamie Oliver and his, uh, his ideas for 15, where he was yeah. bringing people in and helping them out. Is that, are there plans for, for you to do that and give something yeah. back of your journey? Well, actually... We've tried to base the whole business from top to bottom with that. So we only use ex-dairy cattle for our brassola, for our beef products. We only use ex-breeding sows for our pork. So all of these are deemed waste products by, by the industry. Um, or certainly not value high-value products, which we disagree with. I think the value sits in these older animals, hence the name Tempus, Latin for time. It's all about the age. Uh, but similarly, I've been doing some work with a, an amazing... Well, it's a charity, but it's a commercial entity as well called Liberty Kitchen based uh, in Pentonville Prison. And I'm now talking to them about doing a kind of apprenticeship scheme where you get these these guys who, um, you know, for whatever reason, found themselves in prison. And actually, by going through the Liberty Kitchen training program, they learn how to cook. And then I'm trying to plan something with them. So we've got a steady flow of, of people who want to work. It's a narrow skill set in this country making charcuterie. So if these guys can learn everything from butchery through to uh, curing and, and fermenting and smoking and making all these products, they have a skill set they develop. And actually it sits with that kind of ethos of ours of, of using assets, which society doesn't deem that valuable. But actually we see value in in these places. So it's, it is a case of putting our money where our mouth is. Um, but actually, we're not talking about any of this in our comms. It was just launch the product. Because you start talking about that early on, people see it as a charity, as a bit tree-huggery. So we just want it to be accepted for the quality of the product. And now we can start filter through the kind of, the, the sort of positive, the comms, the, the, you know, the more ethical stance that we've taken. Fantastic. And it's, it's in your DNA, rather than it being something that you're just switching yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, and it has been from day one, but we just don't talk about it because people then create their mindset of something you might not be. So love the product, and then you can kind of go, oh, by the way, they're a pretty ethical guy, and, you know, they've got quite a nice... And it's a nice value added. It's a kind of little little bonus for the people who kind of... They can kind of say, oh, I bought that from day one. Yeah, exactly. But they bought it because they liked it, and they didn't have to because, you know, it's nice to add in. I didn't want to do it the other way around. You've done the right thing. Here's hoping. Thanks, dude. <laughs> well, okay, look, we, we, we could go on for hours. hours it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating listening to your journey and your story to date. You've got a load of things that are set up. So you've got the support, you've got the network, you've had the money yeah. given to you. And I appreciate that you know, the, the, the pressures that are put on you to, to deliver the product are probably yeah. igniting the drive that you need. Yeah. Over the course of your time, you'd have had a lot of advice from a lot of people. Some of it welcome, some yeah. of it not. Yeah. What's the best bit that you've heard? Well, I mean, it, it's very, the thing is, it's, if only it was down to the one thing, right? It's understanding all of it. If I had had a better handle on the understanding the numbers from day one, it would have made for an easier, um, easier first year. Don't overestimate how much money you're going to need and make sure that you don't tap out every resource before you start it and you don't want to be kind of leaning on your house and at some point going into this kind of thing mm. um believe in yourself 
there's a reason you've got to that point. Um, so back yourself and and actually have that support in whatever guides you need. And the other thing is you need to take time out. Um, we really struggle. Tom and I have this inability to to go to the gym. Go, you know, take and when I stopped in the production, um, went through myself into the commercial side of it. You find yourself putting on weight like you wouldn't believe. Uh, and then you feel grotty about it and you don't feel great. So you need to make yourself feel good about yourself. Uh, otherwise, that's reflected in how you how you approach everything. Wow. Where can we buy it? Where can we buy Tempest Food? So, Fortnum Selfridges Harrods. Okay. Um, Bailey and Sage and lots of independents. We're just making a push on a lot of the restaurants. Rules, not okay. far from here. Fantastic. And um, if you just go to our website, tempestfoods.com, you've got a full list of stockists on there. And can you buy it from the website as well, or is it just... It will link you through to a retailer, Andreas... Andreas, which is the best veg for my money, and actually voted the best greengrocer in London in Chelsea. So andreasveg.com, he will be able to sort you out. Fantastic. Any and all online requirements, uh, as far as charcuterie from us is concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm logging on now. Dude, it's fascinating, and thank you for taking time out to come and talk to me. Great to see you. Yeah. We'll see you soon. Let's do it. Let's go and have lunch. Rules, you see. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. To hear more, subscribe to the show, And why not leave us a nice review while you're there, as it helps others find us. Let's Do the Right Thing was devised and presented by Adam Hopkinson and was a Maple Street Creative production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.